0: On 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. We want to continue our mini series called Reckoning 375 about the project to replace I 375 on the east side of downtown Detroit with a boulevard. There are lots of opinions about the plans to do this, there are lots of controversies that have come up in the discussions about replacing I-375, which was one of the things that helped destroy two really important Detroit neighborhoods. Paradise Valley and Black Bottom were majority black parts of the city that went away after Lafayette Park and I-375 were constructed. But in all of the discussions of those plans and the criticisms of the way that this has all come together, one of the really important aspects is understanding what's really being talked about. The Michigan Department of Transportation has been put in charge of this project, largely because it's a highway project and they are responsible for all the highways that we have in our state. We wanted to talk with them about where the idea to replace I 375 came from and how we've worked across time to get to this point where they have a pretty good idea of what they want to do with replacing I 375. One thing I want to make clear about this interview it's not an attempt to undermine or even really criticize. What MDOT has decided to do here. There are times and places in this mini-series where we will give voice to lots of people who are upset about what's happening with I-375 or concerned that it doesn't address the things that they would like to see remediated. Today, what we wanted to do, though, is just hear from MDOT about what they're doing, and why they're doing it, but also talk with them a bit about how they're trying to include the communities that surround I-375 in the process. We talked with Jonathan Lurie, who is a project manager with the Michigan Department of Transportation and the lead manager on the I-375 Rebuilding Communities Project. Jonathan, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks. Pleasure to be here.
0: So let's talk about where this idea comes from i-375 has been uh, a part of the freeway system here in detroit since the 1960s uh all of a sudden now we're talking about making something else in that space let's go back to the beginning about 10 years ago really when this idea first surfaced
1: yeah there's been a lot of work done to to get to where we are today um Actually, there was an original study uh, back in 2000 looking at uh, the freeway reconstruction then and how it could potentially tie into the riverfront. At that point in time, it was to support uh, casinos along the riverfront, which uh, did, not, did not come to fruition. And uh, in 2014, uh, the city of Detroit, the Downtown Development Authority, actually led a planning and environmental linkages study uh, in partnership with, with MDOT and the Riverfront Conservancy uh, taking a, a deeper dive and, and looking at the 375 project and, and how it serves uh, uh, the city and how it serves the, the riverfront and the, the type of connections that um, that makes and, and really looking at, uh, you know, if, when, we come, when we come to reconstruct uh, this infrastructure, um, should it be uh, reconstructed the way it is today? or should it be a boulevard? What would that boulevard look like? Um, Is it a combination of freeway and boulevard? And that study came up with six different alternatives for the boulevard and a couple different alternatives for the interchange. But ultimately, that study did not come to a decision on uh, which one to move forward with. So the Michigan Department of Transportation uh, started in 2017. We started an environmental assessment to pick up where the planning and environmental linkages study left off and look at those alternatives and work with the community and stakeholders around uh, downtown Detroit to come up with an alternative that we could move forward with into design and construction. And so that started in 2017. Uh, We basically went through and using a selection criteria, using our purpose and need for the project, got to a selected alternative that is a boulevard that is aligned with the west side of the existing I-375 freeway. Um, We actually ended up through that process uh, completely reconfiguring the interchange of I-375 with I-75 and the Gratiot connector. Mm -hmm. And we found that that really complemented the change to the boulevard uh, that allowed us to also bring the Gratiot Connector, which is another freeway arm that extends to the east up to grade and make those uh, more uh, more of an urban street and serve the city's growth better. And also uh, how we move that, that traffic around. Um, the interchange allows us to have stronger connections with the I-75 service drives to the north, and uh, really complements the the conversion to the boulevard nicely.
0: Yeah. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined. We're talking right now with Jonathan Laurie, who is a project manager for the Michigan Department of Transportation. He is in charge of the I-375 Rebuilding Communities Project. So in in simpler terms really what we're doing is taking a freeway a highway and making it back into a street. Uh first I want to talk about that street that you hope to create where I-375 is and then talk about the fact that this is a recreation really of a street because uh, before there was I-375 there was a street there but let's start with uh, with uh, just the idea of this street uh, talk about the street you hope to create in place of I375 and why it's the the plan I M dot has settled on
1: yeah really it's it's a boulevard street that's intended to serve a multimodal purpose it's a it's a street that the city can grow around Uh, It's a city that has, it's a street that also has a smaller footprint than the freeway. So it has opportunities for uh, property redevelopment or uh, public spaces or land use or placemaking around the street. Um, We really spare no expenses when it comes to the multimodal options in the corridor. So we have wide sidewalks on the the west side uh, along the central business district, about 20 feet wide. We have a two-way cycle track and 10-foot sidewalks on the east side, um, providing a strong northwest or north-south cycle track um, connection to the riverfront, and that also ties up into the Brush Park area. And then we have also some stronger connections east-west along Montcalm Street. Um, it, it does need to – it is it is a boulevard that does need to, to serve um, – you know a lot of great destinations in Detroit, whether it be the riverfront, the the stadiums, Greektown, downtown, and the uh, you know the east side uh, in East Riverfront, and you know there still is a, a major connection uh, to those to those destinations. So we've really been you know working hard to look at ways to make sure that we balance the needs of all users within that corridor. Uh, and really do it in an in an equitable way.
0: So let's talk about what was there before, which was kind of the backbone of two neighborhoods that also used to exist in that area, Paradise Valley and and Black Bottom. How similar to what used to be there is what I-375 is imagining now?
1: Our goal is to really honor the history of those neighborhoods within the project and within the corridor. You know, the Hastings Street that was there before was a different time for the city. It certainly is not a street that can be recreated today, but we wanna make sure that we honor what that street was in the past. We're looking at opportunities for how the spaces can be used to honor that. We're looking at public art opportunities, opportunities for historic markers or historic programs within the area. And we also even identified in our environmental process how the value of the land can help support housing and businesses in that area as well. We want it to honor that path, but it really has to be a road that serves, not only provides some restorative justice for the community that was there, but serves the new community that surrounds
0: it. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined. We're talking right now with Jonathan Lurie, who is a project manager for the Michigan Department of Transportation. He is in charge of the I-375 Rebuilding Communities Project. I want to have you talk just a little more about why recreating Hastings Street or something like Hastings Street isn't possible. You say that, that that's not possibility here can you explain why that's
2: true
1: different times if you look at a lot of how people move around the city it's changed the freeway system has the original street grid that was there really with the urban renewal that occurred in Lafayette Park you know all these these streets that went right into the central business district all extended you know out miles to the east and now there's just not that same connectivity around we, we still have to provide connectivity through this corridor for vehicular traffic, but we want to serve, serve all users. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when, when you think about, I guess, from, from, from blank state, slate status, right, the, just the very idea of, okay, we've got this highway, uh, this highway extension, really, that comes into the city the way it does and we want to create something new. I guess what would be the restraints that would prevent you from rethinking it in a, a really grand scale? In other words, why wouldn't the project have imagined that all of what happened could be rethought?
1: We have to look at everything in its total context, and that we do have to serve our motoring public customers that are coming you know, in and out of downtown and, and traveling around the city. We have to make sure that it's a safe boulevard, that we're not creating unsafe scenarios with impatient drivers or intersections that people are having trouble traversing. We need to make sure that we are not backing up traffic onto the freeways uh, with our
3: interchange.
1: And then we are using federal transportation dollars to build the project. And we have to make sure that we accommodate a certain level of service with our traffic to be using the the federal dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to I want to talk about those federal dollars and the restraints that they put on the project. Uh, M. is is the vehicle for spending federal highway money all over, of course, the state of Michigan. And because this is uh, a road that was built with federal funds, uh, M. Dot is 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 captaining this this idea. Um, but, but what things does the federal government's involvement prevent us from thinking about or doing in the replacement of I-375?
1: In general, we have to follow all of the federal rules and regulations. So again, we have to meet a certain level of service on the traffic in terms of how we design the road. And, and we know we've heard We've heard some concerns on the, on the width of the boulevard, and that is something that we are digging into. We're, we're at a 30% design right now, and so we are you know able to further refine some of that. And we're actually going to get some some newer traffic data to be able to look at the volumes and the, and the traffic that's there and, and understand uh, the post-pandemic environment and how that may factor into some of the intersections. So we're looking at that. And then we also have the the land is purchased with with federal and state transportation funds. Uh, the, the excess property that will be excess um, then has to follow certain disposition processes relative to uh, the federal and state requirements. So those are things that, that we have to work through um, as we as we look at uh, you know what that land use can be that land use planning as well as what community enhancements can come out of that.
0: I want to talk about the process that you've used to talk with the people who live and work in this area to come up with the design of the project. Talk about where that began and how it's come forward and whether you think it has been sufficient. Have enough people had enough opportunity to talk about what's happening with I-375.
1: Starting with the Pell, uh, I mean, we've had, uh, we've always used a local advisory committee. So we've had that, that type of structure starting in 2014. And then we had one for the environmental assessment. And we have a new one that we have now uh, that we've started design this year. Uh, some of those people are consistent and then some people are, are newer to, to that group. Um, and so that includes the residential and stakeholders, uh, around the project. And, uh, right now we meet with them on a more or less uh, monthly cadence, uh, to, to get feedback on where we are and where we're going. We held a large number of public meetings. Uh, we've held two, two this year, uh, for those opportunities to provide feedback. And then afterwards we put everything. Uh, online so that we can further you know get additional feedback from those that were' not able to attend we typically uh, we've been post sending out postcards for those meetings um, so uh, we, we we've done a lot um, but I, I think uh, you know we still have a lot of work to do um, there's a lot of complex issues to work through um, on even more than just the uh, the road design itself but as we talk about you know the, the land use planning so our our next step is we'll be kicking off a, a framework study uh in partnership with the city of detroit uh really looking at the surrounding areas and and some of those needs community needs and uh some of the, the restorative justice components also that can also work in into the project um and so you know, that's going to be a, a heavy focus over the next 12 to 18 months. And I think in that process, we realized that we are going to have to to be out more in the community. Um, We have done before uh, during the environmental phase, we did some living room meetings and we would uh, have meetings at uh, uh, some of the co ops, like their lobby areas. I think that's uh, a strategy that we're looking at dusting off again now, having more listening sessions in the neighborhoods and, and meeting people where they are. Um, As we work through these really complex, uh, complex planning efforts.
0: When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Jonathan Laurie, project manager for the Michigan Department of Transportation, about the I-375 Rebuilding Communities Project. This new year, LifeKit wants to help you succeed. Because everyone
2: needs a little help being human. It can seem so overwhelming. You're not alone. Who can I commit to being? If you want to do something, then just do it. Just take that first step. Great advice every week. Listen to Life Kit from NPR.
0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We're talking with Jonathan Laurie, a project manager for the Michigan Department of Transportation and the lead manager on the I 375 Rebuilding Communities Project. When you talk about restorative justice, which you've referred to a couple of times in this uh, conversation, what kinds of things are you imagining will happen or are possible? in this project
1: and that's highlighted a, a couple of of potential pieces really looking at there's about 30 acres of excess property so it's how you know that can be used to provide enhancements to the community so mdot has committed to using the value of that excess property for community enhancements and looking a little bit beyond just transportation enhancements it can also what we've targeted is honoring that the history of Black Bottom and Paradise Valley, but also looking at how there could be uh, housing support or uh, minority-owned business incubation support and pieces like that. And um, one of it's it's something that is not you know M.DOT's wheelhouse or, or specialty. So really, we look to partner heavily with the City of Detroit as well as um, nonprofit and philanthropics to see what kind of opportunities are out there and, and partnering opportunities to help drive that forward and, and make that as successful as possible.
0: How will the process of doing that unfold? And and I guess what I'm asking there is how much the community that exists now near I-375 and the communities that were destroyed, not just by I three three seventy five, but but certainly as part of the construction of the highway and the neighborhood next to it, uh, how are you going about including those voices in the planning and the decision making?
1: Yeah, that that is a big challenge, and that yeah, that community is is no longer adjacent to the project. Um, we do have different community groups. That um, are part of our advisory committee that can help facilitate some of those conversations. We've heard a lot of voices from people that do have that history, whether it be themselves or or a family member. but it's a matter of really kind of getting that group together and being able to to focus on those elements and really what what that can look like uh, as we as we move through this framework planning process. We still have time, so our, our, you know, we, we anticipate a shovel in the ground for the boulevard work in 2025, uh, but not wrapping up construction until 2028. And you know, there's a lot of, you know, this project has really started out as as an infrastructure project in addressing the freeway, um, but we we realize that with with the history here that there's definitely more to it, and so you know we're working closely uh, with the city and and other partners to to make sure that we can, uh, you know, address that the way that we, that we need to. Um, And we will have a lot of work on that in the next couple of years as we continue to progress through the project design.
0: Hmm. I I want to go back, uh, Jonathan, and have you talk more explicitly about the federal funds that are involved here, the federal grant, um, if MDOT uh, did not replace I-375 with a boulevard and with a six-lane boulevard, would it threaten that grant money? In other words, is the grant tied to the idea that we create a, a road that essentially has similar traffic capabilities or or potential? to the highway itself?
1: It does put that at, at risk. So, you know, we've gone through uh, an environmental process and determined um, you know, the, what the project itself is. Uh, I, I, I do want to say, though, you know, we, we are at, at 30% design, and so we, we do have flexibility in looking at the number of lanes and the traffic and how it uses it. We've done a lot of work on that and, and understand, you know, we've really focused on trying to, to minimize the, the width of that infrastructure, uh, but we still need to, to serve the vehicular traffic that's moving around the city. It certainly doesn't mean that the, all those lanes need to stay there forever in perpetuity as the city grows, as, you know, maybe there's more transit options or people start traveling in different ways you know, a lane could be repurposed if that was the case. But what we're seeing right now with the traffic is that we need those lanes.
0: Jonathan, is there anything else you'd like to add about the project?
1: I just don't know if I explained well. Coming out of the environmental assessment, we have the finding a no significant impact. And within that really talks about some of that, you know, the equitable approach that we have in terms of um, how we develop the land use framework planning and the uh, community enhancements, and then really just some of the benefits of the boulevard. The freeway out there today is 1960. It's nearly 60 years old, and it really needs to be reconstructed. Right now, we're out there working on the Larned Bridge and Madison Bridge and just spending a lot of maintenance money just to keep those open. And then how the project, as the boulevard design, is a, is a much safer layout, we address you know some the dangerous curves, the I seventy five curves in the interchange, the, bull, the boulevard curve as I three seventy five dumps into West Jefferson. That curve on the freeway is very dangerous. And then, long term, the project is much more sustainable. It has reduced infrastructure, so we eliminate fifteen bridges and three pump stations with the project, and we're able to also have a really big impact on stormwater resiliency for the area. That was a big one,
0: and then, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Jonathan Laurie, project manager with the Michigan Department of Transportation. It was really great to have you here to answer these questions about the I-375 project. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Okay, I want to welcome John Gallagher, a former columnist with the Detroit Free Press, to the studio. His latest book is the Englishman, and Detroit. He has been following MDOT's I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project for an awfully long time. John, welcome to uh, the studio. Thanks, Stephen. Happy to be here. So I, I want to start with your reaction to what we heard from MDOT in in that conversation. Uh, you know, one of the things I, th- I always want to make clear about this project is MDOT was assigned this project, and they are – an agency that deals with roads. And so their first instinct always is to think about the road and transportation. And some of the frustrations that I have about this project and that other people have about this project don't have anything to do with the purview of what MDOT has been asked to do. But I do want to get your reaction to what they're saying about what they want to do
4: and the process they followed for getting to this point. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Stephen, that, I, you know, first, John Laurie and his colleagues at MDOT, they're all uh, dedicated professional public workers, and they're, you know, they, they I don't question their integrity or their motivation to do the best for the public. It's just that I think as they balance all these many interests that, that John talked about, I believe they lean too heavily toward, as you said, roads and, and traffic efficiency, and not enough to creating the kind of walkable urban neighborhoods that we've done in some places in the city now, downtown, midtown, Corktown, and so on, filled with housing and shops and restaurants. And we could have that, I think, on this Lower East Side, as we used to have with Black Bottom and Paradise Valley years ago. Um, but that, I, I think the plan, this, this multiple lane corridor that they're setting up, is really more of a, of a void and, uh, and and does not allow for the creation of that kind of walkability. And I, get, I guess they wish MDOT had a little more faith that motorists could adjust if we give them a somewhat narrower corridor. Um, and, uh, you know, in the past, when we narrowed Woodward Avenue in the downtown, mm-hmm. back when we did the Super Bowl, you know, motorists adjusted. When we closed off the intersection of Jefferson at Woodward to create Spirit Plaza, everybody complained, but everybody adjusted. I just think that... You know, people will adjust if we go to a a somewhat more urbanistic, walkable design than this corridor that they plan now. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host,
0: Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join. We are continuing our conversations about the project to replace I-375 on the east side of downtown with a new road, Get Rid of the Highway. Uh, that has inspired some real important thinking and conversation about the neighborhoods that went away when I-375 and Lafayette Park right next to it were built. Black Bottom and Paradise Valley are these two majority black neighborhoods in the city that went away because of the things that uh, people decided to build. Instead, uh, we've been talking a lot about what that means uh, to, to rethink this project and whether we ought to be rethinking it in a way that would address some of the things that went wrong in that first uh, decision-making process. Getting rid of these neighborhoods, what happened to the people, what happened to the businesses? Are there ways that we can bring some sort of uh, justice to those who were wronged in the process we would love to hear from you on the phones and on social as well give us a call and let us know what you make of Uh, the Michigan Department of Transportation's plans for I-375. We just heard from John Laurie, a project manager at the MDOT, about how they're rethinking this, what they want to build in the place of I-375 and the process that they went through to get there. Uh, Do you think that it makes sense to replace I-375 with a six-lane boulevard uh, that would, would be essentially the highway, but just at surface level. Uh, do you think we should be more imaginative about what we replace I-375 with? Do you believe that there has been enough community input? into this process. This process actually has been going on for a really long time. It has only recently gotten a lot of attention. 313 1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can include you in the conversation that way. John, I want to talk about the way in which we, in this community, think of transit and roads and communities. Uh, and the dissonance, I guess, that that kind of uh, exists when we talk about getting from one place to another around here. Uh, Jonathan Laurie talked a lot about the need to make sure that uh, people can get to uh, the places that they need to get to, on I-375, on this new road, uh, he he didn't talk much about the idea of uh, walkable communities, the idea of of changing the way that we think about uh, transit to reflect the way that people live right now. I I get the sense that that's not just a problem when we think about things like I-375. It's a dissonance that infects almost every conversation we have about how we get around here in Southeast Michigan.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you, you know, you think about all the other efforts the city is going through to reimagine, to recreate a better Detroit. It's all about, you know, um, you know, we call them 20 minute neighborhoods or, you know, pink zoning or whatever, where we have these very walkable dense, uh, neighborhoods, lots of housing, lots of cultural amenities. Um, lots of shops and restaurants and we're seeing those in a lot of different places uh, you know the Livanoi, uh Avenue of Fashion area, West Village, um, you know as I said Corktown in that area and and it it's it's a totally different conversation than, than you have when you try to recreate um, this highway, which of course it's three lanes in each direction but plus the turning lanes and the median and so on. so it's actually really wide I and mean, it's to me, as I said, it's almost like a, a void on the east side now maybe since they have uh 30 more acres will become available you'll build some stuff in there that'll be helpful obviously john mentioned we ought to have more support for black entrepreneurs i mean we should be doing that anyway right Mm -hmm. um but again you know when when they went out and they had these public meetings and they surveyed people the number one response was you're talking about too many lanes can't we narrow the number of lanes so Again, the emphasis on moving traffic, I think, is is the wrong one for where we want the city to be right now. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when
0: we come back, we'll continue this conversation with John Gallagher, a former columnist with the Detroit Free Press who's been following this I-375 project for an awfully long time. We will get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. Frank in South Lyon, Nat in Detroit, Mike in Detroit. We will start with you if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We're continuing our series called Reckoning 375 here on Detroit Today, where we're taking a look at the plans to replace I-375 on the east side of downtown Detroit with a surface road. Of course, that is the area that was the former home of Paradise Valley and Black Bottom, two majority black neighborhoods that were destroyed in the 50s and 60s uh, by lafayette park and i-375 that we heard earlier today from the michigan department of transportation which is the agency that's handling all of this about what their plans actually look like and how they got to this point also we had a uh, conversation about the process of including the community in the discussions about what should replace I-375. Right now, we're talking with John Gallagher, a former columnist for the Detroit Free Press, who has been following this project for a really long time. Uh, We would love to hear from you as well about what you make of uh, MDOT's plans in downtown Detroit, what you maybe think uh, we should be doing differently with that, uh, and and how you kind of react to the things that we heard MDOT say about why they've made the decisions they've made. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and work us into the conversation. Uh, John, we've got some callers who, who want to participate in the conversation. But before we get there, I do want to talk about why MDOT has been handed the entire scope of this project. I mean, obviously they have to be involved. It's a road, it's a federal highway. They're responsible for those highways here in the state of Michigan. And if you were going to change I-375, you couldn't leave them out. But it seems that some of the questions that we're confronting here and some of the issues that we're confronting here go beyond the scope of what? Uh, an MDOT would reasonably be expected to consider. So can we talk just a little about why there isn't another, I guess, agency or official who is leading this from the state level or the city level to really think about it in the context of these communities, the communities that were destroyed by I-375 in Lafayette Park and the communities that exist now who will have to live with whatever they decide to replace the highway with?
4: Well, that, that's a really great question, Stephen. And, you know, American government in general has been criticized for operating in silos where we have, you know, the federal law enforcement versus local, um, you know, CIA versus NSA. I mean, all these rivalries and so on, and everybody's got their own uh, their own budgets, their, you know, their own needs to attract funding and so on. And, um, uh, you know, you have a state agency like MDOT, You have DDOT, the Detroit City Department. And to what extent do they cooperate? Uh, I I don't know. Um, But you're right. You're absolutely right. We need a larger vision, a more holistic vision um, when we plan a project like this because we're going to be stuck with whatever they do for a very long time, just like we've had 375 now for 60 or 70 years. We're going to be stuck with this new thing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019
0: is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Nat in Detroit. Nat, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Stephen. Uh, thank you so much. I just wanted to sort of weigh in on this as somebody who's a city planner, not a road engineer. But um, there's, there's a big distinction there, which a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. But basically, MDOT's preoccupation here is that if they narrow the road which is what all of the public comments requested. They said, we want a narrower street that has safe options for non-motorized transportation. MDOT's contention is that if they narrow the road, they will reduce what they call the level of service, which Mm -hmm. is basically a sort of obtusely modeled traffic flow. Um, There are no projections in MDOT, within MDOT, that that design projects like this without modeling for increased population, increased vehicle miles traveled, which is the metric of how much people drive and increased vehicular hours traveled. And one of my objections to that is that this agency is talking about how much they value transportation decarbonization, and they want to see a zero carbon future. But they are basically saying, we are going to continue to drive, and we're going to continue to drive more. And one of the most insane things, this is the last thing I'll say, that John Lurie said is that he was like, well, if we we narrow the, this is not in this conversation, as a previous one, he was like, well, if, if we narrow the roadway from six to four lanes, we might be taking away people's right to drive. And I was like, this just this is just an insane amount of money, and we should absolutely be talking about why they, they think there's only one way to look at this, which involves high-speed thoroughfares. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the comments in the public comment were like, 35 miles an hour is way too fast with the growing size and weight of vehicles, including but not limited to electric vehicles, that will have a demonstrable uh, increase in, in in roadway fatalities, both for for drivers and for pedestrians and cyclists, mm-hmm. in which a category in which Detroit already leads the nation. Frankly, yeah, yeah. So, uh-
0: Nat, I I really appreciate the call and your insight and the fact that uh, you bring some expertise to the conversation uh, as a city planner. Uh, again, John, this this idea that a road is the is the right way to go and a high capacity road. Is the thing that a lot of folks are are really focused on. And look, there's a there's a balance. I mean, um, people have become accustomed to the idea that I-375 is there. I mean, there's only three exits actually off of that freeway: uh, Lafayette, Larned, and and Jefferson. But if you took it away, people would have to find other ways, I guess, to get to those to those places. Uh, you know, I think Nat's point is that uh, that not only that the community has asked for something different, but the way in which we use transit, the way in which we travel
4: has changed or is changing in a way that maybe is just not reflected here. Right. Well, as you and Nat both said, uh, you know, people will adjust and MDOT doesn't allow for that. So just to just a brief story, at the beginning of the pandemic, my wife and I who were a two-car family, gave up one of our cars. We donated it, actually, to WDT. Mm-hmm. Always a good thing to do. <laughs> Always appreciate that. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and and we adjust. So we're a one-car family. We we have to do a little more planning in advance for our schedules, and occasionally I'll ride a bike or take a bus, some, or she'll drop me off somewhere while she uses the car. But, you know, we get along fine. Uh, and I think that if we narrowed the planned 375 replacement, I think people would adjust over time, and it would work out. And I think you'd have a better, <clears throat> better urban environment on that Lower East Side. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go next to Mike in Detroit. Mike, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. I, I my original question was actually going to be, what's the definition of a boulevard? Is it going to be a boulevard like Chicago Boulevard, or is it going to be more like a street like Gratiot or, or Grand River? which are essentially highways. Uh, but I had another question, too, which is MDOT informs us of information, but then they don't stick around to engage in the conversation around that feedback. So how do we have productive conversation with MDOT about this project?
0: Yeah, uh, great questions, Mike. Uh, let's start, John, with this uh, the community input process, which I asked John Laurie about. He explained what they did. I did ask him why they didn't front that. Uh, And when I'm looking around the country at other projects like this, where they're talking about restoring a community that was taken out by a highway, the conversation begins with those communities and what happened and with the people who are still there about what they would like. That's not how we did it here. Uh, He says that they are only about a third of the way through the process, 30 percent, and that's uh, the time to include people, but I think Mike's frustration is something that I hear quite a bit from people about the the, the process of getting the community's take on this and and accounting for them. Uh, what what is MDOT doing? What and what would a a project like this? I guess. Call on them to do. There aren't a whole lot of projects like this uh, going on around the state.
4: Yeah, you know, there's a phrase "democracy deficit" that's been used about these major projects, where you don't include enough disparate opinions at the front end, um, and usually because it's so hard to make big projects happen. They take so long, they cost so much money that you try to just keep it moving forward. And but that means that the dissenting opinions don't become part of the process and. The mistakes only come up later when you're too far along in the process. So I think in this case, MDOT does have public hearings, but to me, I've always felt these public hearings with any kind of regulatory uh, process are more window dressing than anything else. I mean, MDOT does listen to the people, but it doesn't seem to change very much. Uh, It, it, you know, they still plan this, you know, three lanes in each direction plus all the, you know, turning lanes and so on. And the, and the public reaction which is mostly to narrow the project narrow the number of lanes that doesn't seem to you know have much of an impact yeah yeah
0: again 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phones let's go to Frank in South Lyon Frank what's on your mind
3: Hey good morning Stephen um, I've been involved in this uh, you know with through transit and affordable housing for you know I think I went to the first open house at m at least 10 years ago about this project and i was like one of three people <laughs> and even at that point we you know Dot was you know we were having discussions and uh you know with the Dot people and the federal people and, and different city people this was a true acknowledgement of what they used the, the freeways to you know to blast out these you know through these neighborhoods and and really, you know, you know, it was an acknowledgment, and, and it was set in, you know, here it is, concrete. You know, it's set in concrete. This is a pure acknowledgment of what we did wrong before. Uh, and then to that point of, of not any enga- engagement, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I mean, I'm really surprised to hear people say, oh, they haven't listened to us. I would have to say this project I had, you know, being a, one of the few, mm-hmm. I had a lot to do with it concrete can you can put more look at all the wide roads we have now they put in a bike lane boom just like that so mm-hmm. just because it shows three lanes right now doesn't mean that can change they have no idea what how people are going to use it and i would suggest anybody that's interested in design of anything read the book how buildings learn mm-hmm. it's a, a magnificent book about design and how people put so much work into the design and then people use it a totally different way yeah. And so you need to take that into account, but um, I, but again, the acknowledgement that so, this was a you know truly a racist project back in the fifties, that's what this is about.
0: Yeah, uh, Frank, I, I really appreciate the call and and your perspective as somebody who who tried to participate in the in the planning process here, uh, uh, John. The 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 connection between what they're doing now on I three seventy five. And the histories of Black Bottom and, and uh, Paradise Valley is probably the, the the most charged point. I think that uh, that this is uh, circling around. Um, you know, as Frank points out, it, it's where it's where the discussion probably should begin. I don't know that I feel like that's what we're doing.
4: Yeah, I, and I also think that we need to acknowledge that. As you've said, Stephen, growing up on the northwest side, 96 plowed through your neighborhoods. The lodge sliced off a good portion of Corktown. Um, 75, 375, and um, uh, you know, just uh, in the mid 20th century, cities everywhere just just destroyed neighborhoods in the name of of this greater, more efficient auto traffic. And I think we we acknowledging now how what a mistake that was. Probably the biggest mistake. Um, along with urban renewal, um, you know, ad- advice to cities: don't destroy neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so now we acknowledge that, but you know, what do we do? It, it, these projects take so long to plan, so long to build. Uh, and you know, if if we do the, the one now that MDOT's talking about, well, how long does it take to make it better once it's built? That it, it, John talks about. You know, adding transit one day or narrowing lanes one day. Well, when is that? Twenty-five years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know we'd we'd be better off doing it right in the first place.
0: So I want to I want to end with a big question, which is about the idea that w- w- I guess whether we could start from scratch with something like this. One of the points that John Laurie made was that so much of what was decided when they built I-375 is is kind of feta complete. You can't uh, essentially, you know, re- remake things that were destroyed. And I guess I'm not sure I should just accept that as as the truth or or the inevitable truth. Could we go back and regrid essentially this area in a way that would look and feel? like the neighborhoods that were there before, I think there are a lot of people who are at least interested in that idea. Uh, MDOT seems to be just rejecting it out of hand. I wonder what, what's possible if, if we were to think of it in those
4: terms. Well, I think, uh, as we've said, we would need some uh, super agency or group of agencies that had equal footing in this discussion it'd have to be more than M dot. It would have to be more than M dot. That's that's what you'd have to have, right? Yeah.
0: Um you know, he also said that they're only about thirty percent through this planning phase. I guess the other question is 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 it too late? Is it too late to turn it back or to add voices in a way that changes what they're planning to do
4: well I, I, when he says 30 percent i think that understates uh how far along they are i think that there any changes at this point might be sort of uh, on the fringes I, I think they still plan for the three major lanes in each direction plus the turning lanes and all the rest of it so um you know i think it's pretty far along now if enough people complain uh if there's enough public discussion the project isn't built yet uh, you know anything's possible um, but I think that, um, I, I really think it, it, we have to reform how we do these projects in the first place so that uh, we don't keep making the same mistakes over and over. Mm. Okay, John Gallagher, former columnist for the
0: Detroit Free Press. Uh, great to have you here always uh, to talk about things here on Detroit Today, and great to have you here to talk about the I-375 project. Well, thank you, Stephen. My pleasure. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit, and you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.